This is all I, I really could feel and believe to preach this morning. So if you'll just stay with me in Luke chapter 8, verse 26. Uh, let me read a few verses here. The Bible said, And they arrived at the country of the Gadarenes, which is over against Galilee. And when he went forth to land, there met him out of the city a certain man which had devils long time, and wear no clothes, neither abode in any houses, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God most high? I beseech thee, torment me not. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man for oft times it had caught him, and he was kept bound with chains and in fetters, and he broke the bands and was driven of the devil into the wilderness. Jesus asked him, saying, What is thy name? And he said, Legion, because many devils were entered into him, and they besought him that he would not command them to go out into the deep, and there was there and heard of many swine feeding on the mountain, and they besought him that he would suffer them to enter into them, and he suffered them. Then went the devils out of the man and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the lake. You call that the Bay of Pigs sometime, preach if you want to preach that. And they were choked. When they that fed them saw what was done, they fled and went and told it in the city and in the country. Then they went out to see what was done and came to Jesus and found that man out of whom devils were departed sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. This is what I want to preach on right here. They also, which saw it, told them by what means he that was possessed of the devils was healed. Let me read one more verse. Then the whole multitude of the country of the Gadarenes round about besought him to depart from them, for they were taken with great fear. He went up into the ship and returned back again. Praise God. If, if the Lord would help me just a little while, I want to preach on solve our problems, but save our pigs. Solve our problems, but save our pigs. Uh, it said they arrived at the country of the Gadarenes, which is over against Galilee. And actually, uh, Brother Jimmy, when we were in Israel, we we, we went to this area. And uh, I, had, I thought about it just after we left that part of the, the country and got back on the bus, that uh, that area that, it, that we were standing at and that it speaks of in Luke 8 and 26 was, was actually part of uh, uh, what they call the Decapolis, or the, the ten cities that... That uh, they had their own rule. Each city had basically its own king, and and all ten of the kings were in agreement that if anybody attacks your city, the other nine kings will come to your defense, and vice versa. But they would never had fallen to Roman rule, and they never had fallen to Jewish custom rule, and they were completely independent of every other organization or country that ever came to that part of the world. This these ten cities, these called the Decapolis, and they were independent of the Greeks, independent of the Romans, and, and they were almost uh, uh, basically Gentile domain, but they had many Jews that lived in the Decapolis, and the Jews were the more important people in the Decapolis, even though it was a Gentile part of the country. And uh, they did, as a general rule, uh, try everybody to agree that Jewish law and Jewish custom was correct. 
But the only thing was, there was no way to punish anybody for not following Jewish law or Jewish custom. It said, And when he went forth to land, there met him out of the city a certain man which had devils long time, and wear no clothes, neither abide in any house, but in the tombs. Uh, this particular individual we, we know all about, and we've heard it preached and taught and everything, and we realize that, you know, uh, some of the major points of him being possessed of the devil, Brother Tommy, is he was he didn't have any clothes on, and, and he wasn't in his right mind. Basically, he was naked and crazy. That's That was the, the, the key points that most people would recognize about this man that's full of the devil. And thinking about that, Brother Nathan, after a couple of thousand years has passed by, really, the devil doesn't have any new tricks than he ever had since those days. When I go to the mall, when I go to town, when I see people that are living for the devil and not serving God, I still see them naked and crazy. They still don't have enough clothes on and they're still acting out of their right mind. It's the same influence that the spirit of evil has always had on humanity. And it still has it today. Amen. He, when, when he saw Jesus, he cried and fell down uh, before him with a loud voice said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I beseech thee, torment me not. The point I want you to get out of this particular verse is this man is still possessed. We, we, we have a tendency in our mind because we know Scripture so well and we've read the Bible so often. It's been preached and taught to us so much we have a tendency to always skip ahead to the good part. As soon as we hear about Jonah getting swallowed by the whale, our mind already goes to him preaching a revival in Nineveh. As soon as we think about David crying out for the sin that he committed, our mind automatically goes ahead to where God forgives him. We, we have that ability in our mind. We don't, we, the 40 years in the wilderness in our mind lasts just a few seconds because we're already crossing into Canaan. We have, but we need to slow down sometimes and catch what's happening in each, each verse. This man is, has not been delivered. This man has not prayed through. This man still is possessed of the devil. He's still in the same state of mind where he is scaring people and breaking fetters and hurting people and, 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 and making it where people can't pass by that way. He's in that exact same position, but now he's bowing. And what happened? Well, a lot of times we think in our mind, okay, once somebody's delivered, they have to submit to God. Once somebody is saved, they will submit their life to God. I'm going to tell you something, friend. You can live for the devil and be full of the devil and if God's ready you'll submit to God yeah, the devil's right here in this scripture they, they fought people they hurt people but when Christ came up they bowed evil is submitted under righteousness praise God with a loud voice he cried unto Jesus thou son of God most high beseech thee torment me not for he commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man for oft times it had caught him and was kept bound with chains and in fetters and he broke the bands and was driven of the devil in the wilderness. Now understand something with me right here. This man tormented the community. They feared him. He was scaring them. He was hurting them. He was breaking their hearts. He was ruining their lives. He was ruining their livelihood. This is very important. Because then it said Jesus asked him saying, what is thy name? I've heard places in Scripture just like this so misrepresented, so miscued, and so mis. I, 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 I was last night after the service was over. I was online having a debate with an atheist man 
uh, down in Alabama that was upset about my post against the ACLU and our church services we have down there in Alabama where when people get arrested, they can choose to go to jail, do community service, or go to church for 12 months. And this atheist had read my post and fired back, and so I got him live online, and we were going back and forth, and they, they like to take scriptures and, and not try to understand them, not try to figure out what they say, just try to throw them out there as if somehow they can make a fool out of God or something. And, and this verse is often misunderstood. Uh, some, some writings and some people have said, well, this, this may show a weakness of Christ. This may show the humanity of Christ. That Jesus is asking, what is this man's name? Let me tell you something, friend, this morning. Jesus Christ did not ask this out of ignorance. He asked it for our sakes. Jesus knew this devil's name. Jesus knows everything. Jesus is God from the beginning. Jesus is all-knowing, all-understanding. The only way I can describe to you why Christ would ask the name of a devil that he already knew the name of is because he knew he was being recorded. It happens all through the Bible. Christ knew he was being raised. Jesus did lots of things in his ministry that he did not have to do. But the only purpose for Christ being on the planet was to make an example for you and I to follow. Jesus knew that if you and I came across the devil, we would not know his name. So they leave us an example knowing that somebody's recording what he's doing. He did not say, I know your name. He said, what is your name to let us know that as Christians, we have the authority to find out what it is, the power that we're fighting against. All right. Hallelujah. I heard a story and I was wishing your night speaker was going to be here because I've never got to ask him to his face. But I heard a story many years ago when I first got saved about Brother Neil Bridges and that Brother Bridges was preaching a meeting somewhere. And I'm just I'm reverting the story to you that I had already heard. And, and, and that he was preaching a meeting at somewhere, a little church down the road. Some young person had become full of the devil and was possessed of the devil. And they had that young person in the church and they were trying to pray that person through. And they were having a battle and a struggle with this person. And, and somebody had slept outside and nobody knew about it. And they called Brother Neil Bridges. And they got Brother Bridges on the phone. And, and he had drove up outside. He had come down the road. And, and they're, they're struggling and battling with this young person and they can't cast the devil out of this person and all of a sudden nobody knows that Neil Bridges has just pulled up outside he's, there's no windows he's not coming the door all of a sudden that devil rises up at the altar and says who called Bridges who called Bridges and just a few seconds later brother Bridges walked in the back door and he stood at the back door they said for a long time as they continued to wrestle with this devil and this young person and finally he walked up there and laid his hand and commanded in the name of Jesus and called that devil by name to leave and that devil left under the authority of the command of the Savior of the world and then somebody asked Brother Bridges afterwards what I was told was why did you stand back there at the door and wait so long you saw we were struggling you saw what we were going through why didn't you come forward and Brother Bridges said as I was coming in the back door I heard that devil say who called Bridges and he said when I come in I said, God, he knows my name. I want to know his. He said, I stood back there and prayed until God told me that devil's name. And then I went up there and called him by name and cast him out. I want somebody to understand Jesus didn't do things all the time because he had to. He did it because he was leaving an 
understood he was being recorded. Praise God. I don't know if you preachers have ever done that before. I think the brother mentioned it this morning. When you know you're being recorded, sometimes it hinders you a little bit because you want to say some stories about some people, but you don't want them finding out and thinking that you're just talking about them all around the country. So it makes a difference if you know you're being recorded or not. Hallelujah. And he said his name is Legion. Legion means four to six thousand roughly because many devils were entered into him. And they besought him that he would not command them to go out into the deep. Now understand with me, friend, this is not the water. When they besought to not be cast into the deep, they are not being besought to be cast, not be cast into this lake. That's not what they're talking about. The deep that they're speaking of is the deep that the revelation called the abyss, that they knew that Christ had the power and ultimately would someday cast them into. And they're begging for that to not be right now because they thought they had more time. And there was there and heard of many swine feeding on the mountain. And they besought him that he would suffer them to enter into the swine. It is so telling to me. Brother Ben, it is so interesting to me that they wanted to go into the swine. Now, pigs were considered unclean. Now understand, this is not Jewish-controlled territory, but in, 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 the, in the public sense, in the social sense, everybody there pretty much respects the Jewish law over everything else. The pigs were supposed to be unclean according to God's law, still at this time. Some would want to debate that, but we don't have to debate it anymore, because this scripture said the devils wanted to go into the pigs. And anybody ever heard of a devil wanting to go somewhere righteous? Anybody ever found a devil that just said, cast me into somebody on fire with the Holy Ghost? The devil said, send us into the pigs. Now we got facts, brother. Pigs were unclean right there. Now we know that the devils wanted something that was not good. And Jesus suffered them. Why did, why, and the question would be asked again, why didn't Jesus just destroy them? Anybody doubt that Christ had the power to destroy devils right there? Anybody think for one second that maybe there was too many devils for Jesus that day, so he just had to displace them, Brother Tommy? Jesus had the right to destroy them. He had the right to kill them. He had the right to send them into eternity to shackle them. He had the right to throw them into the abyss, but there was a problem with that. He knew he was being recorded. He knew that you and I were to follow in his example. He knew that we would not have the ability to destroy devils. He knew we would not have the ability to cast them into the abyss. So he showed us what we would have the ability to do. He gave the church the ability to cast them out. Praise God. Jesus showing us again an example. This is what I came to give you power to do. Hallelujah. Oh, help me, Jesus. Then went the devils out of the man and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the lake and were choked. Then, uh, when they that fed them, when they that fed 
gigs. Brother Ralph, you gave me three, three, three new titles for three new sermons this morning. I knew you'd come for a good reason. Praise God. Don't preach it until you ask me. I might already use it. <laughs> Woo! Don't tell me now. I'll switch and preach that right now. Them that fed the things that the devils liked. Now, slow down with me here for just a minute and look at this part of this verse, Brother Mick, where it said, When they that fed them, Brother Andy, them's the pigs. The pigs is what the devils wanted to go into. There are some people here that are feeding the things that the devil likes. Oh, help me, Lord. Come on now. What, what was done right here, they, them that fed them saw what was done. They fled and went and told into the city of the country. Trying to, there, there's a problem with some people. I don't want to get ahead of myself. But these that are feeding the, that were feeding the swine are about to go into the city. And they're about to come back and they're about to be all upset. And I'll tell you right now, there are people in the church world and people in the church community today, Brother Tommy Farrell, that they come to our services and they kind of cling to our fellowship and they kind of run around with our people and they, they like our revivals and they like our songs and they like some of our preaching. But part of the problem is that they keep going off to the world and coming back mad. They keep going out there and coming back hurt. They keep going out and coming back with their feelings hurt. And it's always the preacher's fault and it's always the doctrine's fault and it's always the teaching's fault. It's already sister so-and-so's fault and it's already brother so-and-so's fault. And the problem sometimes is people need to realize what is it that you're feeding. If you are feeding something in your life, if you're taking your wallet out and giving it to the devil and taking in things you're buying from him, that the de if you're feeding something that the devil approves of in your life, if there's things going on in your world and you will spend time doing things that the devil approves of, you'll spend money doing things that the devil agrees with, you'll spend your mind power thinking about things that are evil and evil things and evil people get along with, of course you're going to get upset at the gospel. Amen. Amen. Then they went out to see what was done, came to Jesus and found the man of whom the devils were departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed, and in his right mind, hallelujah, calm, clothed, and cognate. And they were afraid. What? Surely that didn't say that. They were afraid. I have heard it in Bible classes in colleges. Discussing supposedly deep things. That are, are not deep at all. They're actually, they're not even shallow. They're just, they're stupid. There are so many things we need to teach people that we don't have to go out into the far radical. We don't have to come up with things nobody's ever discussed before just to say we're discussing something. I actually heard it in a Bible class one time out of college where they were discussing about these men that had fed the swine and then they went to town and they came back and they were upset that, well, maybe they were saved, maybe they weren't saved. Maybe they were Jews. Maybe they weren't Jews. They, they couldn't have been Jews because they were, had pigs. 
we come to a verse that tells us they couldn't even be saved because they were mad about a miracle. How many people do you know that when you get in your church service and the power of God fails and somebody gets healed of cancer, that makes them mad? How many people do you know that when some person that's the town drunkard comes to a service and prays through and gets sobered up and gets saved, that that makes them angry? I know there are people like that, but I know that they're not saved because miracles don't make Christians mad. Oh, if somebody help me preach just a few minutes right here. I said, miracles don't make Christians mad. Somebody said, well, we get excited and we run like Brother Tommy did. We always jump and shout, speak in tongues and carry on. And that scares some people. They don't believe like we believe. They don't do like we do. Let me tell you something. If somebody's saved, the moving of God will not make them upset. The moving of God will not scare them. If Jesus Christ is in their soul, they don't have to run like me. They don't have to shout like me. They don't have to believe the Holy Ghost like me. But if they have Jesus and they see the Spirit of God move on me, it will not upset them. I have Baptists and Nazarenes that go to Holiness Missions to America and we get excited and they don't really get excited and we run and they don't run and we shout and they don't shout. But I got this old Baptist boy that sits about halfway back in my service and every once in a while the Spirit of God will fall in our service. Oh, somebody help me. The Spirit of God will fall in our service and people will get to shouting and running and hooping and hollering and I'll look back there because a bunch of my staff will be looking back kind of nervous like I hope we're not bothering him. I hope we're not scaring him but I know this man and I know he's saved and every once in a while when we get to shouting, I'll look back there and I'll see his hand go up and he'll say, praise the Lord. Woo! That's all I get out of him. Praise the Lord. He don't believe like us exactly. He don't do like us at all. But I guarantee you, God don't scare him. People that are genuinely saved, regardless of what, what doctrine they're claiming, if they're saved, a miracle won't make them mad. Right, right. The Spirit of God won't scare them. Come on, oh, glory. Oh, I want to preach just a few more minutes. Hallelujah. They also, which saw it, told them by what means he that was possessed of the devil was healed. Y'all know what this is saying right here. Brother McCoy, what this is saying right here, it, it, they went and got their buddies, and they came back, and they're mad about a miracle. So they ain't saved. Come on now. And they brought their buddies back, and they told them by what means he that was possessed of the devils was healed. What are, you, what, what are they saying right there? What are they saying? What they're saying is, he killed our pigs. It has nothing to do with the fact that a devil-possessed man just got delivered. It has nothing to do with the fact that a community was just relieved of a troublemaker. It has nothing to do with the fact that a guy that was bound for a devil's hell just switched roads and now he's going to God's good heaven. The only thing that matters here is what did it cost? 
me. What did it cost? Preacher, you hit the nail on the head this morning. I'm going to tell y'all something. Love is the most expensive thing in the universe. You cannot have accurate New Testament Bible outreach without it costing you three things. It will always cost you your health, your wealth, and your reputation. I hate that it's this way, and I love God's holiness people, and I'm not here to bash anybody. I thank God for all of them, but in our movement, it is such a way that if you're going to do pure, holy, godly, New Testament outreach, the Jesus way, the Paul way, the James way, and the John way, it will cost you your health, your wealth, and ultimately, usually, your reputation. There are people that just cannot think outside the box, but inside the Bible, well enough to let you bring rank sinners into your church and work with them on a regular basis. I had a man march into my office. He said, you are running yourself ragged, and you're driving your wife into the ground, and you're killing your children, and your staff cannot keep up with you. He said exactly what you said, preacher. He said, you can't save them all. I waited till he was done ratting and raving and gave me a break in the action. And I looked him in the eye and I said, are you going to fault me for trying? He's never said one more word to me ever. When your argument with me is you can't save them all. And my argument with you is does it make you that mad that I'm trying to? You're going to be on your way home looking and feeling like an idiot. That's all I can help you with. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm telling you some of these ministries like what Brother Andy has done over the years and what Brother Ralph has tried to do. Some of these ministries like what the brother preached to us, Brother Shelton preached to us about this morning. Ministries like ours. Our faults, our failures are more successful sometimes than the other guys' successes. I make a statement right here and y'all already think I'm arrogant so it don't matter, but each of these failures are more successful than many churches' successes. I have the town meth cooker. I have the town cocaine uh, dealer. Come to my church and pray through and get saved. And stop cooking and stop dealing drugs. And they only stayed saved for six or eight or nine months. And then they backslid and they went out on God. But for some reason now they have such a knowledge of the understanding of how terrible their sins have been. Even though they can't serve God and can't live right and can't be holy and can't be saved. They cannot bring themselves to cook drugs anymore. They cannot bring themselves to deal cocaine anymore. The fact that they're not saved today is my ministry's failure. But it's still more successful than the ministry that does nothing than get in the pulpit on Sunday morning and talk about how drug infested the terrible road.
benefit. They're not looking at the benefits of it. They're just looking at what did it cost me. Hallelujah. What these people were really saying is, God, we wanted you. Oh, help me, Jesus. I'm a lot closer to being done than you think I am. My title is God, solve our problems, but save our pigs. This is the prayer that a lot of people are praying in our churches today. They come down with a broken heart, a broken home, a broken relationship. They get down on their knees and they are literally praying, God, solve my problems, but save my pigs. God, I need you to to save my husband, but don't mess with my pet piggy over here. God, I need you to fix my children, but all the time I'm the one that's feeding the pigs. Oh, will somebody help the preacher just a little while? God, fix the side effects for me. But don't cure the problem. I tell you right now, I was preaching a revival in my church down in Florida the other day. Our fellowship church, the HMA church in Leesburg. And I was preaching a revival and they called me on the phone. And there's a brother and sister, a good, a good church they go to there in Tulsa. And they got a daughter that's out and on drugs. They called me, they said, uh, uh, Brother Todd, we got our daughter, uh, and she's about 30 or so years old, and we got her in the car, uh, and she's been on drugs for months and months, and living out on the streets, and she called us and said she wanted help, uh, and she said uh, uh, to come get her, we come and got her, we offered her every kind of help we could think of, uh, and she turned it all down, uh, but we got her in the car, what do you want us to do with her? I said, put her on the phone. Get on the phone. I said, Sissy, I, I can I can get you into a drug rehab program right now within the hour. It's a Christian-based church drug program. We can get you in there for up to 12 months. She said, no, no, no. I'm not in the mood for that right now. I'm not willing to do that. No, no. I said, okay. Let mommy and daddy take you to the church. And I'll call the pastor and the elders. And they'll meet you down there. And they'll pray with you and pray for you. Until you feel like God has helped you through this. No, no, no. I can't do that right now. I can't. That's not what I want to do. I said, well, I'll be back in a couple of days. And you can come to my office with mom and dad and we can begin counseling and I can tell you what God can do. No, no, preacher, you don't understand. I just, I can't even think about that right now. I said, sissy, what is it that you want? She said, if you can get mom and dad to just give me maybe a motel room for the night, if you can get them to just leave me with $20, I'll probably be okay. I said, all right, put a mom and dad on the phone. And mom got on the phone and said, what do we do, brother? I said, kick her out. Put her back on the street. She don't want no help. She wants her problems solved, but she wants her being saved. She doesn't want God's help. She wants her help, God, the way that she wants to tell God how to get it. I'm going to tell you something, how you get help. You get down on your knees. You humble your heart and you break your will. And you say, God of heaven, I'm a failure. I've proven it time and time again. I've shown you over and over how I can mess my life up. God, I'm willing to do whatever you say to do before you ever even say it. God, I need your help. Hallelujah. But that's not what we're praying, church. We're praying, dear God, solve our problems. But save our peace. I'll tell you about the woman 
They kept calling me in the middle of the night. Her, she got saved. She was a, a real bad pill popper. She got saved, but she wouldn't stay in and wouldn't, wouldn't hold on just real wishy-washy and called me. Her husband was in jail. Actually, he was in jail for beating her up. And I went and talked to him. He got saved in the jail. He felt like, and by the time he got out, she was living so bad that she just pulled him right back out. Me and my wife would go home every night, get ready for bed, get in the bed, get about an hour, hour and a half, two hours of sleep, and the phone would ring. Two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning. Help me, Brother Todd. He's beating me up. He's going to kill me. Hurry, hurry. Come save me. Me and my wife, we'd jump in the truck. We'd run down to their house. I'd go in there. I'd break them up. One would have a bloody nose and one would have a black eye. And we'd have a big old long talk and drink coffee and, and pray till six o'clock in the morning when it was time for them to go to work. They'd go to work and me and my wife would go home, get about an hour, hour and a half sleep, go work all day long, go to bed that night, three o'clock in the morning. Help me. He's killing me. He's killing me. He's beat. This happened every night, every night, every night for six or seven nights. One night we finally got down there. I opened the front door. I said, get your suitcase. She said, what? I said, get your suitcase. She said, what do I need my suitcase for? I said, you're leaving. She said, oh, I can't do that. I said, yeah, you can. You're getting your stuff packed and you're moving into my fifth wheel out there on my property. And you're getting away from this mess for a while until we work this out. She said, I can't leave him. I love him. I'll never leave him. My wife stepped up. Y'all know my wife, quiet, shy, backward little old lady. She stepped up and that girl said, I'll never leave him. My wife said, then stop calling my phone. Lord, solve my problems, but save my pigs. I hope I'm preaching to somebody. I tell you about the man that barged into my office one night. I was doing some counseling with a family. He said, brother, you got to help me. you got to help me. you got to counsel with my wife. you got to counsel with my wife. I said, what's the matter with your wife? He said, she's going to leave me. I said, why is she going to leave you for? He said, because she found out about my girlfriend. I said, well, I'll tell you what. You leave your girlfriend. You tell her you don't ever want to see her again. And you'll have nothing to do with her for the rest of your life. And then you go get your wife and you come here and we'll begin counseling. He said, I can't leave her. I said, then get out of my office. Listen to me, y'all. We don't make deals with God. God don't make deals. God is not a deal maker. God is a wheel breaker. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. I'm going to ask you a question right now. What are your pigs? What are your pigs? What are the things that every time you come to God and say, God, help me in this relationship. God, help me with this friend. God, help me with this peer pressure. God, help me with this trial. God, help me with this financial issue. And God begins to help you, and then He comes up against something, and you go, uh-uh, not, 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 wait, wait, that, no. What's your pigs? It don't have to be dope. It don't have to be Pornography. It could be your Facebook page because you don't have time to read your Bible. 
What are you pigs? I got some of them, they read every, some of them read more books. I read all the time. I got some of them read five times as much as I do, but never the Bible. Not even books that are factual, just these stories. Linda, the sweet little bell from the south in 1863. And Jeremy, the hard-working field hand. Great God of heaven. You're reading that mess sitting there crying like a baby over it. You think, oh, Linda's going to get Jeremy and I can't understand it. I'm supposed to be in bed. School starts in the morning. And then you come to a church service. Power of God's moving. You don't feel nothing. And then pretty soon, six months later, you find yourself down at the altar. God, I can't even cry anymore. God, help me. God, give me tears. God, wouldn't that be a service if I, I got tears for the first time in a service and I could testify about it and mom would cry and dad would cry. We'd all cry and we'd shout. You had tears over Linda and Jeremy. Yeah. What are your pigs? Yeah. All right. Let's, let's go about it. Let's go about it a different way. I'm, I'm just about to wrap it up. Everybody close your eyes. I'm going to ask you a question. You let your mind work here. Brother Sloggett asks you personally, what are your problems? If you knew God would come by right now and fix anything you named, what would you name? What are your problems? You got it figured out? Okay, you got it right there. You got a picture of it. Leave it right in front of you. Now, what are your pigs? What are the things that when you say, God, will you do this? And he says, I'll do that if you'll do this. Now, you got two pictures. You got your pigs and you got your problems. <laughs> now, do you want your problem spared? Or do you want your pig spared? See, we, we misunderstand something. Y'all look at me. We misunderstand something. There are people in this little bitty service right here, right now, that you want God to do things, and you wish it was different than it is, and you are always telling yourself that if it wasn't like it is, I would have God do this for me. But I can't have God do that for me because I'm, I'm like I am. I can't help but that I desire this thing. I can't help but that my family is built around this thing. I can't help but that I'll never break free from this thing. But if I didn't have one of those, I'd have God fix me. Because we've preached forever, Brother Tommy, that God will change the way you dress. God will change the way you look. God will change where you go. God will change. But listen, God changes something even more powerful than that. See, there was, there was a, this young pastor. 
and, and this young pastor took this little little Pentecostal church off in the in the community down south and and uh, he took it was his first church and he found out as soon as he took the church that that there was a bunch of young people that had backslid out of the church, all running wild out in the community, and it, it burdened this young pastor's heart. He kept telling himself, i got to pray about this. i got to do something about this. i got to be the one to reach all of these wild young people that backslid out of this church that I just took. And he found one of those young ladies in the community. And he said, Jesse, I'm Pastor So-and-so. I just wanted to invite you to come back to church. She said, oh, I can't do that. What do you mean you can't? Sure you can. Just come on back. Everybody loves you. Mom's there. Dad's there. Grandma, Grandpa. We all, we all want you. She said, I can't come back to church. He said, sure you can. Why can't you? She said, if I come back to church, i got to stop uh, run around with all these boys. And I can't go to this. And I can't do that. And I just, uh, she said, it's, it's, I just, I want those things. And I can't go to church and have those things too. I just, until that gets worked out, I just, he said, you listen to me. He said, you come to church. And while you're coming to church, you can do anything you want to do. She said, preacher, you've got a lot to learn about these Pentecostal people. If I come to your church and I live anywhere way I want to live and do anything I want to do. You and me both are going to be kicked out in our ears in no time. He said, you listen to me, young lady. I am the pastor of that church now, and I'm in charge of this ministry, and I'm telling you, you can go to my church and do anything you want. And she said, we'll just see about that. Sunday morning, she sat on the back pew. He preached his little heart out the best salvation message he could muster. The Spirit of God fell and conviction came in that house. That little girl came down and ran to the altar and prayed through hot tears running off her face to old time salvation. When she got up, it was the standard scene. She was hugging mama and they were crying. She was hugging daddy and they were crying. Someone laughing through their tears. She just went around hugging everybody. At the end of the line stood the little old preacher boy. After she hugged the last one, he stuck his hand out and she put her hand in her pocket and said, you tricked me! He said, I didn't trick you. I said, you could come to my church and do anything you want to. She said, I know. I just don't want to anymore. Oh, praise God. God doesn't just change the way you dress. God doesn't just change your look. God doesn't just change the color of things you own or the sound of things you listen to. God gets inside and changes want tos. All right. <laughs> then the whole country, the whole multitude of the country of the Gadareans round about besought him to depart from them, for they were taken with great fear. Afraid of what? Look at this. What are they afraid of? God's making miracles. The only thing they could possibly be afraid of is they're afraid of what they might lose. Don't you see that perspective? Oh, I need to make this money, preacher. I, I, I can't miss work to go to church. I need this power and this authority. I can't let down my standard to live the way I need this girl or I need this boy. Listen, it's just an old stinky pig. Somebody's just in their mind said, did he just call my boyfriend an old stinky pig? Yeah. 
If He's keeping you from going to church serving God, right? Yeah. You don't need it anymore. Let it go. You've got Jesus. You've got Jesus. Let it go. Or, if you do not, and he went up into the ship, and he returned back again. Is it worth it? To keep that pig long enough till Jesus leaves? It's happening. It's happening. Let it go. Let it go. Probably nearly every soul in this house has got some little secret thing locked away, tucked away somewhere. I want to go to church. I want to be right. I want to serve God. I want to live holiness. And I'll do as best I can. But don't touch my little thing right here. And if that's the best you can do, then all you're doing is you're coming to the altar and you're getting down on your knees and you're praying the same old prayer. God, solve my problem, but save my peace. Stand all over this house. Every person in this room has been in a thousand altar calls. I can't say anything you've never heard. I can't do anything that's never been done. But you know your heart. You know your heart. You know that you're one of the ones that continues to pray this prayer. God, solve my problem. And save my peace.